Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Hey guys, welcome back to Thick and Thin with me, Katie Bilotti. And I have to say, I think today's episode of the podcast is the most relatable, candid episode I've ever thought of, like concept-wise. Today we're talking about hangovers, the alcohol kind, okay? Like anxiety, hangovers, drinking alcohol, what alcohol does to your body, why it causes you to feel so anxious the next day, how to fight hangovers, things like that. I feel like I've always strayed away from, or shied away rather, from speaking about hangovers candidly because I feel like people always associate getting hungover with being a degenerate and like, you know, being one of those people that lets themselves go too hard and is a party girl and party girls can't be smart, you know those stereotypes, things like that. So I've always shied away from talking about hangovers. I remember even when I was in my corporate job, like I would, you know, be hungover at work some days after like a work happy hour function or a date or something. And I would never tell people I was hungover. Like I, I felt like ashamed when I was a little hungover, like heaven forbid I have, I don't know, two, three cocktails. It literally only takes me like two cocktails now to feel hungover. I feel like it might be an age thing, but I think it's mostly just a like I have more or more obligations now. I almost said opportunities that too. I have more obligations now. So like that means usually less sleep, more stress, more drinking. So hence bad hangovers. I don't know. It's a mystery to me. But anyway, I just thought it'd be timely to talk about this because we are entering shot girl summer, COVID shot, but also tequila shot girl summer. So I thought it would be relevant to talk about this. Also, I did have quite a weekend last weekend. And as I was laying in bed on Sunday, which is usually the day that I figure out what to record, here's kind of like what I do in terms of how I brainstorm for the podcast. A lot of people think I have this whole method of doing things that's like super just, you know, have my shit together sort of thing, but I certainly do not. I literally lay in bed on Sunday and as I am just replaying the events from the weekend, usually a lot of my inspiration for episodes comes from the weekend in New York City because I see my friends like 90% of the time, so they always give me little nuggets and things to think about. And I also just I don't know, New York in, in the summer, especially on the weekends, like there's a lot of inspiration floating around. So I was laying in bed on Sunday, hungover, you guessed it. And I was like, wow, why don't we talk about this? Why don't we talk about where like hangovers came from? Like why, why is it called a hangover? Like, does anyone know that? Well, I do now. We're going to talk about that today. Also, why why do certain things happen when you drink? Like, why do you have to pee so much? Like, why, you know, what does breaking the seal really mean? Is breaking the seal a myth? Like, just all the random little tidbits and things that go along with drinking, getting drunk, and getting hungover that no one ever talks about. And honestly, 
knowing these things helps you maybe get a little less hungover next time. So, you know, from one girl to another or whoever you are out there, um, I'm going to give you some tips and things. Honestly, also, I asked on Instagram for you guys to submit your best hangover remedies. We're going to talk about those as well. I didn't even open the the question box because I want to be fully surprised. So we'll get to that later, probably the last part of the episode. Um, But we're going to talk about hangovers, anxiety, which is like an actual thing, just that overwhelming sense of dread that you get the day after you wake up after drinking. You're like, whoa, why do I feel like my life is in shambles? Like, is it really in shambles or am I trying to convince myself that it is? So we're going to talk about all of those things today, guys. Super relatable stuff. But little disclaimer, of course, you know, alcohol in America is only legal to drink over the age of 21. So keep that in mind, please. Uh, don't do anything crazy and say, oh, well, Katie talked about it on our podcast. Like, okay, let's reel things in, everyone. Also, if you are over the age of 21 or 21 and above, drink responsibly. Okay. Like, I'm not trying to endorse binge drinking to the point of, you know, whatever you end up doing after you drink a ton of stuff. So, yeah, let's just keep that all in mind, everyone. Let's just have a nice little cute chat about the inevitable because I always say, like, I saw this TikTok. I think it was posted on Instagram. One of my friends reposted it. And it was like um, back during quarantine, I told myself like when things are back to being normal, I'm like not going to drink as much. I'm going to really, you know, have my shit together because it's been, you know, so long of me really being on the right track. Like I think, you know, quarantine was one of two things for people. It was either the time where you really got your life together and you were like doing really well, working out, really, you know, having your your life on track, or it was a time to like eat unhealthy things and just relax and really like veg. For me, I think it was maybe somewhere in the middle, but probably closer to the like, you know, not being healthy side of things. Like when I was home with my family, I, and this was like the beginning. So I was like, oh God, like this is not going to be over for the next like probably six to eight months. They were saying even a year and lo and behold, it's been like basically a year. We're still wearing masks in most parts of the, I mean, a lot of parts of the city. I'm still wearing a mask on the subway. And, you know, I actually, I got a COVID test. Well, we'll get to that in a second. I got a COVID test a few days ago and it was, you know, just as traumatic as all the other times, but I digress. So anyway, quarantine brought out different versions of us, but now that we're, you know, getting a semblance of normal life again, we're like, oh wait, you know, I said to myself, I wasn't going to fall back into my old patterns, but here I am back in the old patterns, having an excellent time of it until the next morning. And then I'm reminded of those not so great patterns that I sunk into beforehand where, you know, like in theory, I would love to be one of those people that could have one glass of wine, one martini and let it stop after that. But I, I just, there's just something about the social element of it. And I'm, I'm sure everyone can agree. I mean, we drink alcohol for a reason. Like, yes, some drinks taste really great, but we're ultimately kind of checking a box saying, yes, I agree that I will be slowly poisoning myself with this drink. I am consuming a livable amount of poison to feel something. (laughs) And I'm just like signing myself up for that. So anyway, okay. We're going to talk about alcohol today. If you feel triggered by subjects like these, please find another episode. I have so many freaking episodes of the pod, but I think it's an interesting subject. So anyway, back to what I was saying about my COVID test, because I'm sure you guys are gonna be like, what? You think you had COVID? No. So I woke up Monday morning, (laughs) as we do after a long weekend, and I had this overwhelming sense of like 
like I said, dread, like hangover, anxiety, hangxiety, as we call it. And I also was like, whoa, my throat hurts really bad. Like I feel really sick. And I like was achy. I felt like I might have had a fever the night before because I was like sweating in my sleep, like having night sweats and everything. Um, but I also like have one of those personalities where I or one of those tendencies, I, I guess, to convince myself that I'm sick when I'm not sick. Like a lot of people are like that. Like I, I kind of, you know, I'll have one symptom and I'm like, oh my God, I definitely have this or whatever. Cause I'm I'm very like cautious of those things. And I also like living alone, I'm like, I, I'm, I don't know. Cause I can't like bounce ideas off other people necessarily. Like right when I wake up, like, Hey, can you feel my forehead and tell me if I have a fever? You know? Cause I don't have anyone to do that for me right now. But I woke up and I actually like, I was laying in bed and I'm like, I just like really feel funny. And I couldn't put my finger on what it was. Like my throat felt weird. I don't know. So I look on my maps. I like map quest or not map quest. No one's used map quest in forever. Um, like Apple, Google maps or Apple maps. I like switch off between those two. I look on maps and I'm like, okay, urgent care. Where is an urgent care? And I'm like, when is the last time I've been to urgent care besides getting COVID tests? Like I found one place and it said like, oh, free and, you know, easy, rapid COVID tests, whatever. And I'm like, wait, do they do other things besides COVID tests? So I had to call them and be like, hey, like, do you do? And they laughed at me. They're like, of course we do other tests. Like, I'm like, oh, well, I just haven't been in to do any other tests since COVID. Like, it's it's weird to think, oh, we can have other illnesses besides COVID. Like, there's a possibility of having normal illnesses that you take antibiotics for and they're not super contagious. Okay. Anyway, this is becoming a tangent. I have to go in to get a strep test because I was just kind of talking over the phone about my symptoms and they're like, okay, we'll give you a, a COVID or a, a strep test and then, you know, that's it. So I go in expecting just a strep test and then they're like, surprise, we're also going to give you a COVID test because who knows? And I'm like, I know I'm double vaccinated. <laughs> like, I know I don't have it. Don't do it. I didn't say that. I was internally dreading it because I thought the last time I got a COVID test would be my last time having that stupid little thing up my nose. I have to say this might be a hot take, but I think that strep tests are easier, which that sucks too because you're getting like a stick put like down your throat and it like definitely isn't comfortable. But I feel like I would take a strep test over a COVID test any day. Hot take maybe, but I got both in the span of 10 minutes and it's like eight in the morning. I went as soon as I woke up and as soon as they opened up and I'm sitting there for like what feels like forever. They're like, OK, negative everything. So it turns out you probably just have bad allergies. And I'm like, you're kidding me. But when I went home, I, I called my friends, um, you know, my friend Adam and like a few other people. I was like texting them about it. And they're like, Katie, like we've all had this like mysterious illness. And I feel like a lot of people have been saying like I'm sick, but like not that kind of sick. But also people are scared to say they're sick now because now everyone associates being sick with having COVID, which is like obviously it was like telling someone you had an STD if you had COVID. Like it was really horrible. I'm so really so grateful. I'm knocking on wood that I never had COVID over the past year and never had to be the bearer of bad news to like family members or anyone. But, you know, there certainly were always like little scares in my like distant circle. And it's just, it's just scary. So yeah, we're getting back to the new normal of not only drinking, but confessing that we're sick and it being not the worst thing in the world. Right. But as I was on the phone with Adam, he was like, well, don't you think it could be <laughs> like, he's like, okay, hot take here, but maybe the reason why you feel sick is because of all the tequila you drank last weekend. And I'm like, you know what? Fair point. 
Like how dare I wake up Monday morning and expect to feel amazing after shooting a million shots of tequila. I didn't even drink on Sunday. I was considering it. There was like this roof thing that this guy invited me to that, you know, that might be a story for another time. But, um, and I just decided that I just didn't feel like being social. I didn't feel like drinking because I knew that I'd feel like shit on Monday. Still felt not so great on Monday, but I would have felt worse if I'd gone to that. But really Friday, Saturday really did me in. There was these margaritas we had Friday night at this place called Dudley's. Dudley's is amazing. It's in the East side. You definitely have to check it out. I believe it's like lower East. Yeah. I like, I don't know, something over there. Um, really great called Dudley's very amazing food. The chicken schnitzel is to die to die, but I had two margaritas and it like put me on my butt. Like I need to get my tolerance back to where it was because it's, it's scaring me. (laughs) Okay. Um, but anyway, okay. Long story short, guys, this really long tangent of an introduction. I had a fun filled weekend of drinking, of reconnecting with old friends, which is always great. It's been a long time since I've seen some of them. So naturally, I woke up on Monday morning feeling a bit less than fabulous, quite a bit anxious, all the things, thinking that I had an illness, literally, because of alcohol, which, of course, you need to be cognizant of your drinking. You can't, you know, people give me a hard time on Instagram all the time for valid points, like saying that I glamorize drinking and, you know, there's this one photo of me taking like, like literally taking a pull out of a Tito's bottle. It was like for a photo. Okay. And it's like, it was my birthday. Like, come on, give me a break. But people are like, you definitely shouldn't post this. It's like glamorizing drinking. And I, that's the last thing I want to do. But what I will glamorize is having a fun time with your friends responsibly because we've been through a freaking insane year. So it's natural that you'd want to have fun with your friends. That's all I'm going to say about that. Okay. I'm done addressing it. Let's just talk about alcohol. Okay. So let's just dive into a story. Let me set the stage. It's quite a tale. Some of you might've heard this story before, but it's a good story. So listen up. It's the weekend of a Philadelphia socialite's second marriage. Her name is Tracy Lord, and she's the eldest daughter of a wealthy mainline family. Her first marriage was to a man named C.K. Dexter Haven, a yacht designer and member of the old money social circle that Tracy's been a part of her whole life. She divorced him two years prior because he drank too much, and according to him, as she became more critical of him, he just drank more. But second time seemed to be the charm. Tracy's new fiancé, George Kittredge, was of new money, a widely proclaimed man of the people. George and C.K. Dexter couldn't be more different but both of them were super hot, (laughs) I will say. In New York, spy magazine publisher Sidney Kidd is eager to cover the extravagant Philadelphia wedding between George and Tracy, as he knows it'll be a story many people will be interested in. And so he assigns a reporter named Mike Connor and a photographer, Liz Embry, to cover the story. Sidney calls on Tracy's first husband, Dexter, who has been working for Spy in South America, to help him get in on the story. Dexter tells Sidney that he will introduce Mike and Liz as friends of Tracy's brother, who was a U.S. diplomat in Argentina. Tracy, a smart woman, though, is not fooled by the story, but Dexter tells her that Sidney, back in New York, has threatened the reputation of her family, ready at any moment to publish an article about her father's affair with a dancer. 
Tracy hates nothing more than her father's infidelity, which has caused her parents to live separately. So to protect her father and ultimately her family's reputation, she agrees to let Mike and Liz stay and cover her wedding. At first, Tracy loathes Mike, the reporter, for wanting to get the scoop on her family's business for a payday. So it seemed, but she soon discovers that Mike has some pretty great qualities and even seeks out this book that he wrote of short stories in the public library because she gets very curious about him. So pausing for a moment in the story because I just threw a ton of different names at you. So here are the main characters. We have C.K. Dexter, who was Tracy's first husband, who I'll refer to as Dexter for the rest of our story. We have George Kittredge, who is Tracy's fiance, who she's set to marry over the weekend of our story. And then we have Mike, the reporter, who is there on assignment covering the story of Tracy and George's wedding. So what ensues over the next 24 hours from everyone arriving at the estate is nothing short of a good old fashioned love triangle, or I suppose kind of like a love square since there are four of them. So there's Tracy, Dexter, George, and Mike. For the sake of visualizing this whole thing, like these guys couldn't be more attractive in three completely different ways. So imagine like the three hottest, most intelligent, interesting guys in the room. Like it's kind of like a bachelorette situation, but there's three of them and one of them happens to be engaged to the woman in question. As a wedding gift, Dexter gives Tracy a scale model of their former sailboat called True Love, which brings back memories about their honeymoon aboard it. And so on the eve of her wedding, Tracy starts to notice she still has feelings for her ex, Dexter, and is equally as interested in Mike, the reporter, not to mention her actual fiance, George. Girlie is in a pickle. So she does what any girl would do in her position. She gets drunk. The night before her wedding, Tracy gets drunk for only the second time in her life. During the wedding eve party at her uncle's house, George, so the fiancé, catches Tracy, drunk on champagne, kissing Dexter, her first husband, on the patio. George takes her by the hand, leaves her in an empty room to sober up, but still tipsy, she climbs out the window and runs into, you guessed it, Mike the reporter. George finds Tracy again after she and Mike had a evening swim in the Lord's pool, and when George, her fiancé, sees Tracy laying limp in Mike's arms as he carries her into the house after their midnight swim and champagne party for two, he assumes the worst, as any husband-to-be would. So the next day, George tells Tracy that he feels entitled to an explanation of the previous night's events. Like, surely there's a reason that she was, you know, having cold feet and hooking up with two guys in one night that isn't her fiancé, like... Surely there's an explanation. And also, I think George, you know, was partially in the marriage for a reason, money-wise, security-wise. Who knows? But essentially, he thought, okay, there's got to be a valid, reasonable explanation for this. Which, honestly, shocking that he still wants to marry her at all. Maybe it's the money, right? So anyway, Tracy admits she really doesn't have an explanation at all since she's deathly hungover and all the details from the previous night is super fuzzy. She doesn't know what she did the night before. Talk about Sunday scaries on the morning of your wedding. Sounds terrifying. So George realizes in that moment that he doesn't really know Tracy at all. Up until this point, he has loved her as this flawless, bright, shining, virginal, perfect angel of a human and not as a perfectly imperfect person. He wanted her to be this, you know, virginal image without flaw and Tracy realizes this as well in crushing clarity right before her wedding is about to begin. 
And so a plot twist occurs. She breaks off the engagement just hours before she was set to walk down the aisle. And after a sobering conversation with her ex, Dexter, Tracy begins to accept her own imperfections and realizes that she's too critical of herself and everyone else in her life as well. At one point, Dexter, so her ex-husband, pulls her aside and is like, you have this thing inside of you, this so-called strength, this prejudice against weakness, blank intolerance. Like she's too critical. She's up on her high horse. Like he's basically just telling her like, hey, chill out, basically. So while the hangover is hitting her like a truck and she's trying to figure out what to do with herself, Tracy realizes that all of the guests have arrived and are seated waiting for the wedding of the year to begin. But she has no husband, no fiance to marry. Mike volunteers to marry her, given the night before, but Tracy graciously declines. And Liz, the photographer, we forgot to mention her, Liz, the photographer that Mike had brought along with him to cover the story, right then and there confesses her love for him. So imagine like her seeing that Mike had gone off with the bride to be like she was probably devastated. So she, Liz, the photographer, confesses her love to Mike. So there's still a happy ending on this side of things. But back to Tracy. So as they're all standing around deciding what to do about the wedding, you know, the wedding guests all seated, waiting, something happens. Dexter, who clearly planned to get back with her all along, clearly was motivated to go there to Philadelphia for, you know, for a reason. He wanted to keep an eye on her. He wanted her back. So he offers to marry Tracy again. She realizes in that moment that she still loves him. So they end up getting married again. And that's how the story ends. Tracy and Dexter end up together, finally recognizing that both of them were perfectly imperfect and flawed. And that's just human. But they deserved each other or they were meant for each other. I mean, that's at least what we can see from this story ending. We don't really know what happens after that. But yeah, this is a fictional story, by the way. This is actually uh, the Philadelphia story, which is a 1939 American comic play by Philip Berry. But to watch it unfold on screen, you can watch High Society with Grace Kelly, our girl, Frank Sinatra, Bing Crosby from 1956, or Philadelphia Story with Katherine Hepburn, our other girl, Cary Grant and Jimmy Stewart from 1940. The same plot with minor differences, different years. If you guys recall my podcast episode on Katherine Hepburn, full story of her life, her legacy, definitely listen to it if you haven't already. But I mentioned in that podcast that this director, you know, found her for this role because she resembled the woman who it's kind of based on. So, you know, she might be a fictional character, Tracy, but she's actually based on someone that did exist. And her name was Helen Hope Montgomery Scott. She was a socialite and philanthropist whom Vanity Fair once called the unofficial queen of Philadelphia's wasp oligarchy. So anyway, that's just a, an aside. But I figured this was a good really appropriate story to intro our chat today. It's kind of, I guess, mid-episode now, but intro our chat today about hangovers because Tracy, our girl, suffered one of the scariest Sundays in the history of scary Sundays that happens after one too many. And I always think of this story because there's just like iconic lines. Like you have to watch the movie slash the play, one of the movies, because when Tracy's character emerges the morning after, like this crazy night before, it's just the most relatable thing I've ever seen. And this is back in like the 1950s and even before. So the fact that someone was being hungover, like that was shown being hungover on screen, it was pretty huge, especially a woman. Um, so, you know, obviously 
it's more common now. There's like literal movies like Trainwreck and like The Hangover, but for men, um, you know, showing people being deathly hungover. And it's, it's kind of a comedic thing now, but, and just like a normalized thing, like, okay, people do things like that. People have one too many and it's not something you should hide for fear of ruining your reputation, et cetera. It's a normal thing that happens. So yeah. Um, anyway, I thought this would be a good segue into what I really wanted to get into, which is anxiety. So Tracy, our girl, like I said, suffered one of the scariest Sundays in the history of scary Sundays. Like she's hung over and has to walk down the aisle. And then the husband she thought she was going to have leaves her because she had two infidelities the night before. And then she ends up marrying her ex-husband again. Like she must be after this wedding, probably like just needs to be alone for like several hours with like a Gatorade or something. So I thought it'd be timely and great given Shot Girl Summer and everything to chat about anxiety because anxiety is an actual thing. According to Dr. Aparna Iyer, a psychiatrist and assistant professor at University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center, talk about a mouthful of a place, anxiety is defined as the feeling of being overwhelmed or anxious while recovering from drinking. In an article for Self Magazine, Dr. Iyer explains that it happens because after the high that alcohol gives you, your dopamine levels must return back down to normal and it can impact your mood and anxiety. I'll have the article on anxiety linked in the show notes. Super interesting, but she continues to say, the feelings that you have after you drink alcohol or even the day after can result in a whole range of feelings, moods, anxiety symptoms, et cetera. It can range from panic to feeling depressed and feeling impulsive to feeling agitated and irritable. And if you're someone who struggles with anxiety anyway, it's likely that the after effects of drinking will just heighten these as your body tries to regulate itself. So even after the physical symptoms of a hangover fade away, so, you know, the initial exhaustion, the initial head pounding, feeling like you might puke, you know, that sort of feeling, you still are left with these, you know, internal feelings, like these sinking internally uncomfortable feelings, replaying cringe past events in your mind, trying to piece together details, realizing you can't piece together all the details right away maybe. And it just, you know, creates this like sickening highlight reel, or should I say low light reel in your mind? Like, has anyone else been there? I've certainly been there on like certain nights. It's usually like after like a birthday party or like, you know, one of those bigger ones. It's not every time I drink. It's certainly not every week or month. It's just like, you know, it happens. So the morning after having a fun night, I sometimes find myself just laying in bed thinking about like just considering the fact that by drinking alcohol, I'm essentially just slowly like just giving myself livable amounts of poison, like ingesting something that my body physically cannot just, you know, drink normally like water or juice and just like have it not affect me. Like we're literally essentially very slowly poisoning ourselves. Like poison might be aggressive of a word to use, but we're like, we're hind- like we're, we're affecting ourselves in a way that we're doing it on purpose. Like, isn't that crazy? And I've never really considered until this podcast episode, why alcohol gets us drunk? Like how, why does this substance cause us to become impaired, do things we regret slash forget, like, you know, have a million conversations and not remember them all the next day. Like how, how does a substance, like something you ingest, like do this, but to a point where it doesn't kill you. I mean, it, it 
obviously could kill you. But in most situations, most of us, you know, we're we're ingesting just the right amount for us to feel something, you know, have a lighthearted, fun time, get that high from drinking. And then, you know, we stop. Most of us stop. Most of us know to stop. I am still figuring out my limits as we speak. It kind of helps me to write down how much I'm drinking. Sounds crazy, but like make a note and take note because sometimes when you're at a bar and people are putting shots in your face, it's hard to keep count. And something I actually downloaded recently, which might be counterproductive for some people, it's called Beer Buddy. It's an app. And I don't know why it was created necessarily. I think it's like supposed to be like a social thing where you can like find your friends. Like it's kind of like Snapchat, but with drinking. So whenever you have a new drink, you add like a photo of it and you can tag people you're drinking with and stuff. So it is a social thing, but I like it because it keeps, you know, count. It tallies up how many drinks you're having, drinks, shots, et cetera, you're having and what kinds, and it makes it public. So, well, like public to your friends, not to like the whole world. So like your employers aren't going to see it unless you want them to, but it's good to keep track. And it's also like, okay, if I feel like I'm being an idiot with how much I'm drinking, like other people are going to see that and be like, Katie's an idiot. So I need to like reel it in. You know, it's kind of like a good one of those like accountability sort of apps that holds you accountable a little bit. I don't know if I'm supposed to be using it like that, but I do. Anyway, I digress. So I lay in bed some mornings and I think to myself, wow, I'm just kind of like slowly poisoning myself. And I have this article via Healthline that I found that breaks down in super sciencey terms a lot of just these things that I wonder. Like I've never really considered like why alcohol gets us drunk. Like what in alcohol does it? Like what is the the I mean it tastes horrible straight a lot of it. I mean a lot of us like I have grown to the point where I really can't take vodka shots. Like I can take tequila shots, but vodka shots I really just can't something about the taste, like even like top shelf vodka, I just can't stomach it. So like, but what in it is the thing that like gets us drunk, you know, like that might be a stupid thing to inquire about, but I realized from researching that there's a real reason. Um, Also like, you know, why does it cause us to become impaired? You know, do things we forget, like what about the ingredient that gets us drunk? Like you know, what What really gets the things moving, right? So I found this Healthline article that breaks it down in super sciencey terms, okay? We have ethanol to thank for our bad decisions. So ethanol, also referred to as alcohol, ethyl alcohol or grain alcohol, is the primary ingredient in alcoholic beverages. It's also the one that causes drunkenness. Ethanol is a clear, colorless liquid I feel like I'm in science class, like I feel like I'm in one of those like Bill Nye videos, a clear colorless liquid that's a byproduct of plant fermentation. That means it's not produced on its own, but as a result of other processes. So it's like, a, you know, something we had to really work on to make. It doesn't just naturally exist. So alcohol is mainly a depressant, I found, but it actually has stimulating effects, hence like the high that we discussed earlier, when you first start drinking. It begins to do its thing pretty much the moment it goes into your mouth and its effects become more noticeable as the alcohol makes its way through your body. So that's why, you know, when you first take a shot, it might like I've had the experience where I'm like, oh, it hit me right away. I feel it. But, you know, just wait a little bit, wait a few minutes, wait like 20 minutes and it really will be in your bloodstream and your body. As soon as the first drop of alcohol passes through your lips down your throat, some of it actually gets into your bloodstream, 
through tiny blood vessels in your mouth and on your tongue. Isn't that crazy? I'm going to be like keeping these little facts in my back pocket and whip them out the bar and be like, hey guys, we just took this shot. But did you know that the alcohol is already in our bloodstream in very tiny quantities, but just give it a few minutes and then it's going to pass through our stomach and our small intestine into the bloodstream. There's so many different ways that alcohol enters the bloodstream, not just one. Like I didn't realize that it could go through like blood vessels in your mouth. So interesting. So, okay, get this. Alcohol can hit you pretty fast. It typically reaches your brain within five minutes. And you can begin feeling the effects within 10 minutes of ingesting, like the overall full body effects. It depresses your central nervous system and interferes with your brain's communication pathways. So that affects how your brain processes information, hence slurred speech, loss of coordination, general confusion, forgetting things like, you know, there's just a lot of things that this affects, like your brain becoming kind of slower in processing Have you ever heard or used the term breaking the seal? Yes, ladies and gentlemen, we are there. We are talking about pee, aka when you have to go a lot when you drink, especially after the first time. So when you break the seal, like people always tell me like, oh, like I'm going to wait, I'm going to hold it so I don't break the seal because essentially if you, you know, you go once, then it's just a never ending stream of having to go every five seconds. So what if I told you that there's literally no evidence to support that breaking the seal is actually a legitimate scientifically backed thing? It's actually not. It's a myth. So your brain naturally produces this hormone called antidiuretic hormone. So ADH all the time, like no matter what, it's always producing this hormone. And this hormone tells your kidneys how much water to conserve. So essentially keeping you alive because, you know, humans are what, like 80% water? I forget that statistic. A lot of statistics are made up. I'm pretty sure you're like, we're mostly water, right? So ADH is essentially this hormone that helps regulate water balance in the body by controlling the amount of water that the kidneys absorb while they're filtering out, you know, the wastes out of your blood. So alcohol our friend, limits the production of this hormone. So your body, you know, it's just kind of thrown out of whack. The hormone gets thrown out. You can't really regulate the water balance. And so the water kind of has to go somewhere. That's why you need to go more frequently as you keep drinking because your hormone just doesn't really know what's going on. It's like, okay, we're just going to get rid of all of this water because I don't know how much the body needs right now because I'm drunk, basically. So on average, I have this article that I'll link. It says that you go about four times more than usual while you're drinking. I feel like it's more like seven or eight, but the extra urine comes from the liquid you're taking in, obviously, the the alcohol, the drinks, the Mai Tais, plus your body's fluid reserves that kick in when your ADH production becomes low. So when ADH is thrown out of whack, you know, your body compensates and finds more water, finds more. So you're essentially, you're pushing out way more liquid than you normally have in you. And because your body is flushing out all of this water, it's not able to retain it. It's getting rid of all these toxins, but it's also, you know, making you in turn get super dehydrated because all the water is leaving your body. So you don't have enough to keep yourself hydrated. Therefore, that's why you're hungover the next day for the most part. I mean, there's other reasons, obviously. And so, okay. Back to breaking the seal. Why is there this urgency to go? So when your bladder fills quickly with drinks, with beer, with wine, with whatever, your kidneys release to keep you alive and regulates, it puts pressure on this muscle that we have called the detrusor muscle, which is part of your bladder wall. So the more pressure 
that's on it. I hope no one has to pee out there because this is like making me have to go just like talking about it. But the more pressure that's on it, the more you feel like having to go. So it's natural that as you continue to drink and pour more alcohol into your system, along with your body's fluid reserves working overtime, you'll feel that super urgent need to go. But the break the seal concept is technically just a myth. It's not after the first time going, you know, breaking the seal that you're going to have to go a million times thereafter. It's more so a mental thing. So if you believe that you'll break the seal and have to go more, like you're going to just continuously think about it and your drunk self is like, oh my God, I have to go, I have to go, I have to go. And just naturally thinking about the domino effect of just drinking in general, it's like I usually start out and I'm like sipping on a drink. And then once I like kind of get you know, get drunk and realize like, oh, you know, I don't really really mind the taste of this anymore. Like then I just like continuously shovel alcohol into me when I should not (laughs) do that. So naturally you're going to have to pee more if you're just like, you know, shoveling more alcohol into your body as the night goes on. So it makes sense. But breaking the seal is just not a thing. There's no scientific basis for that or backing for that. Um, So yeah, interesting, right? And the word hangover I want to talk about this. I know it's taken me a little bit in the episode to get to this point, which I talked about earlier, which I'm sure many of you guys have been like scratching your head about it the whole time. Like, okay, where does the word hangover come from? So there's a lot of like myths saying it comes from pirates, like hanging over their bunks, like after a night, or I don't even know, but I found a lot of sources that said that that's fake news. So I'm not even going to tell the story because I don't want to further the myth. But the word hangover has only actually been associated with alcohol in the last century based on anything in writing, in stone, according to The Guardian. So while hangover wasn't always the term used to describe what we now know as a hangover, you know, it still was happening. People were drinking. People were getting hungover. Like even children were drinking alcohol because sometimes it was cleaner than, you know, beer was cleaner than water in some some parts of the world. Um, So in the 19th century U.S., a hangover was sometimes called a Katzenjammer, which is German for screeching cats, which honestly, when you're hungover and there's any sort of noise, it really does resemble that of a screeching cat or many of them. So essentially, the word hangover hasn't always been used, but a source that I found claims the first time it was referenced in the English vocabulary was in in the 19th century, so I guess after Katz and Jammer, as an expression for, quote, describing unfinished business from meetings. So it wasn't used to describe post-drinking symptoms until 1904, so a whole you know, century later. Um, so unfinished business from meetings. I guess in a way, it kind of like the sentiment is there. It's like unfinished business because obviously your body is going to, your body doesn't just like snap back to normal after eight hours of sleep or maybe, you know, even more than that after a night out, it's like you need to replenish those things that your body lost, like hydration, like sleep if it's, you know, because when you're sleeping, when you're drunk, it like doesn't really register as like a legitimate hour of sleep. Like I don't even have research to back that up, but I just know that from firsthand experience, like the sleep that you get after a night out is not as wholesome and great as the sleep you get on a normal night when you're not impaired in any way, because Yeah. I don't even want to talk about the dreams that I have, like alcohol-induced dreams. It's so interesting. Um, But anyway, so I could do a whole episode on the many, many ancient remedies for hangovers, how to cure them. But for the sake of keeping things rather concise, I want to give you guys the origin 
behind a very commonly referred to remedy. So we're going to talk about that, which is more of like an ancient thing that people still practice, but I'm also going to read a bunch of your recommendations for hangover remedies, et cetera. So definitely keep listening for all of those recs and mine as well. But let's talk about an old wives tale slash potentially a myth, (laughs) something that people still practice to this day though, which is hair of the dog. There's actually even a bar over on the east side, lower east side area, I think. Yeah, that's called, or is it? Yeah. I always get the, I get everything on the general east side of things confused because I was coming from the west side, like my last apartment. So now I'm like getting acquainted. Anyway, it's over on the lower-ish downtown east side somewhere. It's called Hair of the Dog. And People definitely refer to it as like an intern bar, to be honest, because they it's it's a younger crowd there, but it's definitely fun. It's like kind of divey, but I don't know. It's it's a nice, a great, okay. I wouldn't say it's nice or great, but it's a it's a good time. It's good, okay? Hair of the dog. So what does hair of the dog mean? Because a lot of people will say, like, oh, you know, I, I woke up hungover, so hair of the dog just got to drink more. Uh, so what does that mean? So hair of the dog is a shortening of quote. A hair of the dog that bit you. And basically where it comes from, I had no idea, but it makes sense. So there was this old wives tale, old belief for a long time that if someone was bitten by a rabid dog, they, you know, if they got rabies, which a lot of times they would, obviously it's a rabid dog, but they could be cured of their rabies by taking a potion containing just a little, you know, sprinkle of the dog's hair among other things. So by consuming the same thing, the hair of the dog that bit you, you could be cured of rabies basically. So while alcohol may be to blame for the the hangover as the dog is blamed for the attack. So the dog is the reason for the rabies, alcohol is the reason for the hangover, a smaller portion of the same evil, the same thing can act as a cure, which is just so like, come on. Okay. Like, let's just put a little more, let's rub a little more salt in the wound and see what happens, basically. But it is an old wives' tale. No scientific evidence, you know, supports that either, you know, hair of a dog would cure rabies or alcohol would cure a hangover. But I think, like, I do feel that there's a little bit of basis for this. Like, I kind of see how if you wake up hungover, if you just keep drinking, like, you might be able to get through the day. But I I genuinely think it's because you're just kind of pushing off your inevitable hangover. You're just further dehydrating yourself, but you're getting to the point where your body doesn't really like know what's going on or like your brain, at least you're like, okay, like I'm blissfully unaware of the fact that I'm, I'm just like going to accept that I'm not hungover. I'm going to decide that I'm not and just keep drinking and, you know, getting more drunk just kind of distracts you from the inevitable hangover that's going to happen. But I get even like more scared when I do that because I'm like, oh no, tomorrow's going to be twice as worse. But sometimes you can't help it. It's like you have a Friday night soiree and then a Saturday day drink birthday party situation. And it's like everyone plans all their stuff on the same weekend, I swear. Like can everyone stop being born on the same weekend? It's really putting a wrench in my Sunday morning wake up plan. Um, but yeah, so hair of the dog, not a legit thing, but that's where it comes from. So rabid dogs are to thank for the hair of the dog analogy and the hair of the dog bar. So another fun fact, you guys, this whole episode's been me being like, did you know? I literally feel like Bill Nye, the science guy. Come on. Okay. Another fun fact about drinking hangovers, etc. So I listened to this podcast, um, like towards the end of my research, I'd already found out a lot of these facts, but then I listened to the Stuff You Should Know podcast, which I really love. It's such a great 
pod. I love learning fun facts from them. So I learned this, the darker the liquor, the more impure it is. So the more painful the hangover, the darker the liquor. So the darker in color, the more impure it is. So the more painful the hangover. So vodka being clear is apparently the most pure because it's literally clear. So less hard on your body, white wine, white tequila, light rum, like Bacardi, better than bourbon, dark tequila, et cetera. I found this to be mind boggling. I went to dinner and drinks last night with Brooke Michio, my girl, and I brought this up to her because now I'm just like throwing fun facts in people's faces. And she was like, wait, like, so red wine. And I'm like, oh my God, red wine. I'm going to have to do some more research because I don't know if this pertains to just like distilled liquors or non-distilled. So wine, beer, things like that. I don't really know, but I'm still going to tread lightly with the darker things. But I don't know how this really is because champagne is light in color and that really messes me up. But I think it mostly just pertains to like if you're going to take a tequila shot, take a lighter tequila shot, like the white tequila, not the the dark one. Honestly, when I was at Memorial Day weekend, you know, with all those people I was telling you guys about a few episodes ago, this one girl like went to the store to get tequila one morning. Like she was like, I volunteer to go to the store and get a bottle of tequila because like they, you know, the guys had all brought like vodka and like beer and stuff. And we're like, oh, we want tequila. So she's like, I'll go get it. And she comes back with a dark tequila. And I was like, Ooh, okay. Um, haven't had that in a hot second. Cause whenever I go and like get Casamigos or whatever, I always get the lighter color. So I don't know. I mean, of course, like the gold people do like, um, but now I'm wary. I'm, I'm especially wary now. I always found it like, it was just like heavier and like w- really just sat in my stomach for longer. But anyway, so those are all my fun facts and my insights from my research, but I want to now Read through, guys, your best hangover remedies, which I'm kind of nervous that they're all going to be the same thing. For me, my biggest hangover cure is just sleeping it off. Like, I think that's the best thing to do, even if you don't feel like it, even if you, like, you know, feel like you're wasting the day and should just get out there. Like, I find that if I really push myself too hard to, like, be active and do things, like, sleeping will really, like, you, you'll be glad that you did it the next day. Like Monday morning, you'll be really happy you slept all day Sunday, okay? Which like, I know people are like, but you waste the whole day. And I'm like, yes, but you're gonna thank yourself because then your hangover is just gonna last longer. So sleep it off. Um, I also really recommend like the light blue Gatorade. So the cool, is it cool blue? Like the lightest blue Gatorade is amazing. I don't know if it's like a placebo, like it goes to my head and I think that it's helping me. I love light blue Gatorade, obviously a ton of water you need to add back in that those nutrients and like the electrolytes and the water that your body needs because obviously your body is pushing it all out like we discussed earlier. Um, I'm going to read some more. So someone says, calling grandma. Okay, that probably wouldn't help me. Um, Time outside. All right, I don't know about that. Calling a friend. Yes. Crying it out. Oh, God. Um, Laying down in the tub with hot water running. Coconut water. Soda, which is interesting because I feel like soda like dehydrates you. Um, someone said water, water, smoothie, a 30, 30 to 60 minute walk with Gatorade in hand. Wow, girl. I well, okay. Sometimes I can I can make myself move. I can walk to go get greasy food. Like I walk myself with a goal in mind, like a place that I'm going. Um, okay, Gatorade in hand, yep. Yeah. 
chugging, chugging liquid IV before drinks and the morning after. Liquid IV, I've heard amazing things about that. And I think I had one of them in LA. I don't quite recall the effects of that. Um, I always want to do those like before drinking, after drinking pills, but I always forget to do the after one because <laughs> I like go to bed and I forget. So it doesn't really work. Um, yeah, ibuprofen with OJ, shower, English breakfast, and black coffee. Optional hair of the dog. Yep. But beer or mimosa. Yeah. I feel like after like a really hard night of like tequila slinging, if I have to motivate and go to brunch the next day, I'm getting a mimosa or something that has like at least one ingredient that makes me feel better about myself, like the orange juice. Like that's vitamin C, okay? Um, someone said prenatal vitamins before you go to bed. All right. I'm not endorsing this. I don't know how that works, but apparently it gives you all the good things to replenish your body. Prenatal vitamins. Interesting. Milk thistle. I've actually heard this one before. Milk thistle. Um, Gatorade, cold, wet towel on the head. Yeah. Advil before bed. See, I've read that if you, or I've heard from people, I don't even know if this is true. I need to look into this. Maybe we should do a follow-up for this episode. Advil, like after drinking or like it's bad on your stomach, right? Like it like it's hard on your stomach to like take Advil and have all that in your liver. Like, is it bad for your liver? I don't know. Stomach, liver, one of those things. Guys, let me know if I'm making this up, but I've definitely done it before. I'm not proud of. <laughs> I mean, okay. I think every once in a while it's okay. I think it's like doing it repetitively all the time, like really bad on your stomach and liver. Okay. <laughs> Someone says, don't drink that much, smiley face. You know what? I always go into it thinking I'm going to do that. Like I'm just going to take, you know, have two drinks and, and stop there. But I don't know. I turn into a whole different person, I swear. Someone said sleep in wet socks. Oh, my God. Sleep in wet socks, guys. Wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> someone goes, so this is like hangover remedies slash anxiety remedies. Someone says literally texting every person I know to make sure they're not mad at me. And then drunk texts, so then I can pretend they never happen. <laughs> okay. Um, pretending like you're an actual adult and forcing yourself to get ready for the day. It's interesting. Everyone has different remedies. Someone says it's all in the prevention. Chug water before you go to bed. Yeah. See, I like after drinking, I'm like, oh, I'm so I've, I've like been drinking all night. I've been peeing all night. Like I don't need water. I always forget to do that. I tried. So last weekend. I will say Friday night, I was pretty good because I woke up Saturday feeling fine. And the reason why was because after those two monstrous margaritas I had at dinner Friday night, I like felt myself. I was like, whoa, I'm getting like pretty, you know, it, it's happening quickly. It's all happening. So the next place we went, we went to this birthday thing Friday night. Um, I got a big glass of water. I like went to the bar and I was like, hi, water and a tequila shot, please, <laughs> which kind of like erased it. Um, and then I proceeded to leave my credit card at that bar. So like I opened a tab who does that me, I guess after two margaritas and a tequila shot. Um, but yeah, I mixed in some waters that night and I also didn't go to bed super late. And so then I was fine to drink again Saturday for day drinking season. Someone says working out and sweating. I don't know. Sometimes that works for me. Yeah. I usually, it depends on the level. Like if it's a moderate hangover, I can still exercise. Like if it's like a during the week, I had a little, you know, too much wine watching Bachelor or something. I don't even watch Bachelor, but you know, 
um, then I can like sweat it out. And that really does help me. But some mornings, like a Sunday morning after like a really long bender, Friday, Saturday, like during the day and night, I usually can't be super mobile. Like it really depends on the degree. Okay. So those are some of the hangover remedies you guys sent in. Thank you for those suggestions. If you have any really legendary ones that I didn't read, definitely shoot me a DM over on Instagram. Help out our community as a whole. Get through this hot girl, shot girl summer. Um, But yeah, that is it for my episode, guys. I hope you were intrigued by some of these facts. Put them in your back pocket. Whip them out at the bar or on your next date. Could be interesting. Um, Maybe not the ones about like pee. Like those aren't really attractive. I mean, I would still like talk about those like you bet if you guys run into me in the bathroom line this summer in New York City, I'm going to be telling you guys facts about your uh, your hormones and stuff. So anyway, that's it for this episode, guys. Thank you for listening. And I will talk to you all next Thursday. Bye. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.